Have you ever wondered what it's like for other people to go through a life event? Is it the same for them? Is it different? And how? My name is Dr. Nikkel Rogers-Webb. I'm a psychologist. I'm doing a podcast with my mom, Dr. Elsa Rogers, Dean of General Studies. And we're going to be talking to different people about what it's like to go through a single life event at the same time. In this long teased episode, we welcome Father Terry Miller. Terry and I went to college together and I remember him as always being really kind. He certainly did us a kindness by coming on the podcast. Hi everybody, thank you for joining us um, for another episode. This week we are lucky enough to have Reverend Terry Miller joining us. Currently he's an associate priest at St. Matthew's Episcopal Church in Richmond, Virginia. And there he heads up youth and adult formation. And so, Terry, just tell us a little bit um, about yourself and how you came to be a priest. Sure. Well, I'm originally from Jacksonville, Florida, and I was active in the church growing up, but never considered the possibility of, of being ordained. In fact, I had much, much different plans as I started, started at Swanee, our college, and uh, first, it was to do a lot to be a lawyer, and oh, then wow. eventually to become a political consultant in international relations. I did a political science at Swanee, but uh, various things throughout my four years at college shifted that vision. My first year, I was working away as a political science major, and then worked at a law firm in the Christmas break and summer break and realized that that was not for me. Uh, The idea of spending my entire days behind a desk in a law office writing papers did not sound interesting to me at all. Mm -hmm. Um, So I thought I'd go the international relations route and I planned out for myself uh, a program for what I needed to do in order to go that route. I planned to graduate with honors in, in political science um, to have an experience studying abroad during college, and then t- take a year off and go back to, to school to get a master's in political science and then present myself on the world stage as a consultant. Good plan? Well, most of that worked. <laughs> um, I did graduate with honors and I did go abroad, um, but that didn't take me where I expected. To go back a little bit, during my first year of college, I took my first religion course and was exposed for the first time to religion and theology as an academic discipline. And I discovered that in contrast to every other discipline, people have been talking about and studying theology for about 2,000 plus years. There's actually a longer history and tradition of thought about uh, in this discipline than any other, say, perhaps, philosophy. So that was a new experience for me. My second year of school was a tough year. I really buckled down and tried to do my best as possible and tried to make it even better than my first year. And that took me into some dark places and a lot of stress. Mm-hmm. And I knew I needed to get, get out to, in order to enjoy my rest of my career. And so I took the opportunity to go abroad and went to Belfast, Northern Ireland. Oh, wow. Kind of a random place, but I was interested at that point in ethnic conflict. And there were only a few places around the world where that would have worked out for me to go to. 
One would have been the Balkans, but I don't speak any Balkan language. Uh Israel and Palestine would be another opportunity. And at that point in time, that was not a very safe place to be. Yeah. Um, And so Northern Ireland uh, was attractive because I have some Irish background, several generations back, and they speak English. (laughs) (laughs) Big sell. So while I was there, um, I took political science classes and also religion classes. And it came to the point where I realized one dark winter morning that I did not love political science enough to spend the rest of my life in that field. I couldn't imagine spending two or three years more in the basement of some library trying to uh, discover the ins and outs of ethnic conflict. Mm-hmm. I had a bit of a, a calling my first year of college uh, since that I was called to the ordination. I said, no, that's not not what I wanted to do. I felt like I needed to have uh, a different kind of career and had a vision of me having a big house, two-car garage, and beautiful wife. <laughs> Let me ask you about that, Terry, because I've heard people over the years say I had a calling. Like, what is that for those of us who like have not experienced something like that? Well, for me, I like to say that it had to be dramatic because I'm so hard-headed. I need a two-by-four by the head. So um, for me, it came one, one Saturday. I was hiking in the mountains around Swanee, on, on the domain. And I had this image, this picture in my mind of like a neon flashing light of the word priest. Whoa. Literally, that's how it came to me. And I was like, no, 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 no. This is not how I want my life to go. God, if this is really what you want me to do, call me back when I'm 30. <laughs> I can deal with God here. Mm-hmm. Well, as I said, my second year was pretty rough. And then my third year, I was abroad. And at that point, I realized that this plan I had for myself just wasn't going to work. I, I, had a, I had a true vocational crisis at that moment. And I was sitting in the uh, chapel of the Church of Ireland chaplaincy, which is Anglican. And I had this image in my head, in my in kind of you see it, but you don't, of me standing next to a bookshelf. And I took a book off the shelf and I handed it to a young man. And that's all it was. But it was enough for me to realize, oh, that's right. I do have something to do besides local science. I recognized then that I was called to take everything that I had learned enjoyed all the experiences, all the closeness and faith I've had, and and to give it to the next generation. Mm. So I called my father up the next day, and because of the time difference, it was uh, late at night, and I said, I think I'm called to be a priest. Oh, how'd that go over? Silence on the other end of the line. <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> yes, I'm sure. All right. When you come back, I'll put you in contact with the priest at our church. We had a new rector. So I came back and met met my rector and went back to my last year of school. Had a wonderful year of my last year, senior year of college. And then came back and started the formal process in my home church. Was a youth minister for a year at a church about 45 minutes north of where I grew up. Went to seminary for three years and out popped a newly ordained priest. Terry, I have a question. Yes, ma'am. you may have had to sacrifice uh, your previous dream to become a priest. What else did you see yourself as sacrificing to meet your calling? 
That's an interesting question um, because I've never really seen myself as sacrificing anything for it. Mm -hmm. That dream just wasn't going to work out. I realize that. I've never saw, saw this as a sacrifice. I get to do what I like doing. I love doing. I get to use all my gifts. Um, so I feel like this is a, a really good fit. One thing that I've become aware of just in the last year or two is if I had gone a different route and gone into the for-profit world, I probably could expect to make probably double of what I'm making as a priest. Mm -hmm. But I say that because I, I've never thought about that until I was talking to someone who is in that world recently and they were the same age as I am. And I thought, wow, I could have done that. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> But that said, I mean, Episcopal priests are probably the best paid clergy in the countries. And I think we make a plenty acceptable salary and plenty to live off of. It's not an issue. Um, but as I said, I never saw that as a sacrifice. I'm just aware of, huh, if I gone a different yeah. route, this is what life would have been like. Huh. Hmm. I think your perspective is something that I don't hear very much. Um, from the point of view of like when, you know, when mom asked, you know, what else did you have to sacrifice? Like you seem to have shifted into this is the life that I was meant to live. And I am content and very much feeling like everything is aligned as opposed to what could I have had? Should I, would I, could I? And that seems to have brought you a lot more peace than I think a lot of people have. Or that people have now, they have all the things that they felt would make them happy or feel successful, and they realize something is still missing. Yeah. I, mean, yeah. I can't speak for anybody else, but yes, I, I really enjoy what I do. And because of the way in which I'm able to minister, I'm able to bring in all these different aspects of my background. Like I'm, I used to do art in high school. I love art. And during this pandemic, I've been doing these devotions on artwork and using art as illuminating mm. the scriptures. Oh, cool. Terry, now that uh, you mentioned the pan pandemic, has anyone in your congregation asked you if there's a loving God, why does he allow this kind of suffering? Um, no, actually. Um, they haven't, at least not to me. Okay. Suffering is a is a challenge and a um, absurdity, literally, that is something that all all clergy, all Christians, all people of faith, and those who are without faith wrestle with. Mm -hmm. The question is not why is or why am I suffering? Why is there suffering? But what do we do with it? Mm. Yeah. One of the things that I really appreciate about my tradition, Christianity, is that we look at suffering and say, yes, it is what it is. But there is a way to use that suffering, a way to understand it and live it, live into it and give it meaning. Not all suffering is cross-shaped, cruciform. But if we mm -hmm. approach suffering as an opportunity to live closer into God, to release our troubles and our need to control and to fall back into God's arms. Mm -hmm. That gives it meaning and allows us to, to live with it and endure it. 
Can you talk a little bit more? Because I, I don't quite understand that, not you know, the different kinds of suffering, that not all suffering is cross-shaped or cruciform. Can you talk a little bit about the different understandings of suffering and making meaning out of that experience? Well, suffering isn't simply a matter of having pain, mm-hmm. right? Suffering takes you away from other people. It isolates um it is a barrier. It is a, a load on your back. And I've had my own share of it over the years. And there, people can respond to it in different ways. They can get angry and lash out at other people. They can get depressed. Or they can turn to God. And I don't say that in any kind of shallow sense. I mean, it's a walking with God through a deep, dark valley on the other side. I'm divorced. My wife and I separated about five years ago. Mm, And my divorce was really hard for me. But people afterwards said, I was really impressed by how you dealt with that. You didn't run away from it. You didn't turn to alcohol. You didn't... um, you know, go run after women to try to get your ego back. You sat with it, you you held on to it, and you walked with God through that. I didn't think of it at the time. It was just simply a really dark place. Yeah. <laughs> but it was how I turned to, how I oriented myself to it and used it as a means to be closer to God, to have a sense of a small sense of what it was like for Jesus to be betrayed in the cross. Mm. And to know that, yes, he's experienced that even more than I have. He's been there. He knows what it's like. And he can carry me through. Mm. So it sounds like it's this kind of internal shift from why is this happening or what is happening to how am I going to walk day by day in the midst of this and um, see how God speaks to me through the circumstances that I happen to be experiencing today? Yes, exactly. Okay. Wow. How, um, how has the church been affected by the pandemic? Well, um, we can't have services. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the big thing. I mean, one of the things that has really struck me uh, that has come about as a result of this uh, this, uh, quarantine is that as clergy, we have been deprived of the very things that we use to deal with suffering and and confusion and Mm -hmm. uncertainty. We can't gather. We can't administer the sacraments. Mm -hmm. We can't worship together. We can't even put our arms around our parishioners. Yeah. yeah, we're isolated, and thank God this is happening at a time when we have the technology to at least have some kind of communication with our with each other. We've been holding recorded online services with sermons and all. Um, I mentioned yeah. the devotions I've been writing; I've been able to be sent out by electronically. We've had meetings via Zoom. I'm in charge of the youth group, and we have a weekly uh, Zoom youth meeting through that. I am frustrated because we can't use and be all we have been before and had before to do what we're called to do. Mm -hmm. We are deprived of those. 
And so we are waiting, hopefully, patiently, for an opportunity for us to gather again and uh, be a people of God in worship together in mm-hmm. the same place. I think that's one of the hardest things, because I was talking to my husband about that yesterday, and I was like, you know, it, it hit me a lot of what I enjoy as a person and just as a human is when we're together, whether that's at a yeah. concert or like you said, at, um, you know, services or just being able to hug somebody when they are having a hard time or when you see them for the first time after, you know, an absence, like that is part of being human and we can't. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not one who is very focused on a demonic, but I thought at the very beginning of this, that if I was Satan and I wanted to do the most harm I could to the world and to the church, this is pretty pretty close to as bad as I could do, to isolate each other. I mean, I, I go to the grocery store and people are there with masks on and all, but I notice how they look at each other and how they look at me oh. as if we're the enemy, mm-hmm. each other are the enemy. We're, we're suspicious that the other person may be carrying a disease. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's very um, harmful to one's soul. Yes, that's a really good point. Yeah, because now I'm looking at you instead of giving you this grace and, and the assumption of positive things. I'm like, how are you going to hurt me? Exactly. Yes. Even just by breathing near me. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that degree of suspicion may continue for a while uh, longer. I fear Maybe. so. Yeah. Yeah, it's a challenge. It is. Um, I know that we have um, some limited time, so I wanted to make sure to, Terry, ask you the question that we're asking everybody during our first season. Um, yes, and then, you know, in whatever time we have left, um, just kind of discussing anything that comes up. But what we're asking everyone is if present day Terry could talk to 15 year old Terry, what would you tell him? Believe it or not, that is a question that I've often pondered. If I could go back in time, what would I say to my younger self? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, as much as I'd like to give myself an, uh, 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 a boost, there's not too much I'd wanted to inform the younger Terry about the future. Mm. Because I am who I am as a result of what I've experienced, what I've gone through positive and mm-hmm. negative. And I wouldn't want to deprive that person of the opportunity to grow as hard as it is, as it has been, to grow through those mm-hmm. experiences. That's so cool. I mean, from the point, like, I, I would tell myself because, you know, like, it almost feels like cheating. <laughs> but I would, <laughs> I would be like, watch yeah. out for this. But this really <laughs> aligns with your view on suffering, that it is for a purpose. And so we don't try to sidestep it. We, we live through it. We experience yeah. it. So that, that yeah. really matches. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's like um, there, there was a movie some time ago about this person who could have gone back into the past to change the past so that some of the issues would not be encountered in the future. I can't remember the name of the movie, but that is a bit of cheating in that, uh-huh. I never thought of it the way you expressed it. But yeah, you want to experience those things to be the person that you are now, especially if you are satisfied with the person you've become. Yes. I mean, even, I'm not, I don't re- believe that I am 
fully who I am supposed to be. I still have more growth to do. Uh, but through, because of my experiences of suffering, I'm able to be present with those who are suffering themselves. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In a way in which I yeah. never would have been able to before. Yeah. That, wow. Yeah, I'm, that's profound. Like, I'm having a reaction to, to the fact that this is part of what enables us to connect. Not that everything was mm -hmm. pristine and perfect, but that we can align with each other because we have struggled and suffered too. Yeah. You don't want to be afraid of it. Yeah. Well, you've given us a lot to think about. Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> my job then. <laughs> well, it, it takes, I think, you know, because we've asked about you learning, you know, that you were supposed to be a priest and the pandemic and those sorts of things. But I think you've broadened it into how you can incorporate this into your worldview, that it's not just about how do we as a people survive a pandemic, but it's about how do we navigate life and the meaning of it. It's not about necessarily an outcome or a specific event. It's about how do we understand what we're going through. And I mean, if you're a person of faith, talk to God and, and learn from him about whatever it is that's happening. Yes. Yeah. Yes. We 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 will all enjoy time, great times, high times, pleasures, but we will all enjoy suffering. The question is, how do we deal with it when it comes to us? Do we run away? Do we um, act out? Do we retreat? Or do we step forward and say, I'm willing to go through this. I trust that I will get through this with God's help. Yeah. That is profound. Well, I wish I could take credit for it, but I sit on the shoulders <laughs> of giants. <laughs> well, anything else that you would want to share with us, Terry? I know we've only got you for like a minute or two, but I, I just feel like I've learned so much in, you know, 30 minutes. <laughs> so. <laughs> well, thanks. Um, well, I was going to say, I'm looking forward to being back in church very much <laughs> and being able to see my uh, congregation, to be able to respond to their needs and to share my experiences through this and to, and to hear theirs. We make phone calls to our parishioners and we have Zoom meetings and the like, but there's nothing that could quite replace being present with somebody else. That's so true. Yeah. This past week, I wrote a devotion on Jesus's last words, uh, the Great Commission. Go, therefore, into, into the world and make disciples of all nations. I, I will be with you always, is how he ends it. That, I will be with you. When I was in seminary, it didn't matter as much. I thought that was kind of a weird and quite not quite an exciting promise. But as I've gotten older and as I've been a minister more, I've gotten to appreciate how important God's presence is with us and how our presence, how important our presence is with other people. And so I'm looking forward to being present and being present for others again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's wonderful. And definitely I think many of us join you in, in looking forward to that day when we can 
even if we're not, you know, in the ministry, but just be together um, to care yes, about each other. Well, Terry, really want to thank you for coming on the podcast and sharing. My pleasure. Oh, and thank you for you know sharing your life experience and your wisdom with us today. And well, it's been a pleasure. If nothing else, just catching up with you. <laughs> yes, that has been very nice. It's been what almost twenty years, so <laughs> that's been <Yeah>. good. <laughs> How do we get so old? Oh my gosh, Terry, I don't know because I feel like graduation was last week. So, Oh, stop, guys. Stop, stop, stop. <laughs> Mom and I really appreciated Terry coming on the show and his perspective on suffering. In this life, we all suffer. And certainly this pandemic has created new layers of that. So hearing about it from a different point of view, from a growth perspective, was really helpful. Season one of At The Same Time is coming to an end, but we do have a grand finale for you. In the same vein of spirituality as we move through this pandemic, Mom and I got to speak with the clergy of the Sharid Zedek congregation. The conversation was really great and they gave us so much of their time that it's going to be a two-parter, so please join us. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to rate and subscribe to At The Same Time on whatever platform you use to get your podcasts. That way, you won't miss a single episode. We'd love for you to connect with us online. Our website is sametimepod.fireside.fm. You can also follow us on Twitter, at SameTimePod. Music by PurplePlanet.com. Copyright 2020 by Nikel Rogers Wood, Ph.D. and Elsa Rogers, Ph.D.